You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Even though you've been raised as a human being, you are not one of them. They can be a great people color when they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good. I have sent them you, my only son. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I hope that you have ordered something special because we have a great show for you. Um, I've got some great guys here with me. I, I hope you just grab a chair. Norm, it is good to have you back in the 602. How is everything going? Everything's going well. It's it's great to be back. And um, I ran into a really interesting guy on the way into the 602. He told me if I signed over everything that I had, that he would promise me my a wealth in land ownership. He was kind of a he was kind of a shady looking guy, though. I couldn't quite get how his wig was sticking on his head, but we'll get into that in a little bit later. I. Hey, I, I, I'm going to say you, I, I want to go on because record right here and say that uh, I, I'm, with hair. I'm a little tired of people with hair problems who want to get you in on the ground floor of a great land deal being given a bad reputation. That's just unfair. It's slander at this point. <laughs> you know, uh, there's that joke. It's like, uh, when, what did you say? What, what did your father say when you left for, for the first time? You're losing your hair? No, before that. Get out. No, before that. Oh, John, it's it's good to have you back here in the 602. Um, all kidding aside about the hair, how are things going? Oh, things are going great. As always, I'm glad to be back. And it's, it's always a joy to talk to you, Matt. But also, Norm, this is our first time our paths have crossed in a little while. So it's good to see you again. Yeah, good to be back with you again, too, man. Before we even get started with the show, I wanted to get an opportunity to talk about uh, something that happened a couple weeks ago now. Um, and no, it's not that other trailer, that that one with a Wookiee and some guy going, Chewie, we're home. Yeah, Disney Space Wars or something like that. It was a, it was a small blip in the news. Yeah, like Space Opera number six or something? Yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, but uh, there was another trailer that came out, uh, one that's going to have Batman and Superman in it together. So that's pretty exciting. We're definitely going to have to like set aside a budget for voice modulation for yeah. Matthew. You know? <laughs> well, I've, what I can do this all night. Oh, gosh. Well, no, we haven't heard <laughs> we haven't heard the Bat voice yet. It'll be very interesting to see whether he falls on the Michael Keaton scale or on the uh, you know the Christian Bale scale uh, in terms of the bat voices. Um, so you didn't think that that was his modulated bat voice there at the end about asking if uh, Superman No, bleeds? I don't think so. I think that... Really? I, I, I do. I think that... I figured he was well, going all arrow on it. Well, there's a, a little bit of uh, like robot-y echo to it, but I think they toned it down. I think they want to... I'm thinking they want to save it for the actual movie. Mm. Yeah. It very well could have been... Um, built into that the high-powered armored suit a la the Frank Miller, you know, design. Yeah. I don't know. 
You mean the Lego Batman? Yeah. Lego Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, we are going to talk a little bit, obviously, about the Batman v Superman trailer. And uh, what do you guys think? I mean, obviously, it got released at the most inopportune time when everybody was at yeah. Star Wars <laughs> Celebration. And I, I really don't think it was their fault. Somebody leaked it. A big mess ensued. And then they just went ahead and put it out. But uh, what are y'all's thoughts about uh, what we saw for the first meeting of Batman and Superman on the big screen? Well, I think it was a really logical approach to address the end of Man of Steel and kind of get everyone's imagination going as to how we as a society, as a race, would just react to this godlike being and the devastation of Metropolis and where do you go from there? Because if it were done like in, you know, in real time, in our lifetime, we'd be a little freaked out. I mean, there's a lot of... pretty devastating stuff going on right now in Nepal and that's that was a natural occurrence now you're talking about an alien incident issue you know whatever you want to call it and how do you explain that away you know and I I liked how they handled the whole you know um, if, if humanity wants to latch onto something they will wholeheartedly and turn this person into a paragon figure because this is what we do. I really like the voiceover from Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about that. And it brings a sense of real texture and gravitas to, to essentially what is a fantasy film. But I think that's what we were talking about, Matthew, before the, the smart approach is to make it a more realistic approach. And I liked how it, it started off. I, uh, the first time i watched the preview i was not impressed uh i then when i went back and i rewatched it sort of uh shaking off those first impressions uh i enjoyed it a fair amount um i think i enjoyed it because of the idea that what motivates batman what's what comes across to me from the trailer is that what's motivating batman to have a problem with superman above all else is the blind hero worship uh, to speak to your point, Norm, like, oh, what are we going to do when we see this, uh, you know, seemingly infinitely powerful alien come to Earth? We're going to uh, devote ourselves to him. Uh, the guy basically had a hand in wrecking your city, um, and mm-hmm. you're going to build a statue to him. And so, in a sense, that's, I think, a really good hook because I think it makes Batman understandable from the sense of, wait a minute, you fools are going to lionize this guy? He's basically a walking atom bomb. Okay, you guys are dumb, and you don't know how to protect yourselves, so I'm going to come in, I'm going to help you out here. Like, for me, that gives me a real in for the Batman character for this, because when they proposed this, you know, my reaction was skepticism, much like I think everybody else's, because it was like, well, how are, how are you possibly going to have it where there's acrimony between these two characters right from the beginning. But I think that the the trailer answered that for me, that Batman is bothered by the fact that this guy is, uh, you know, being idolized, even though he obviously is, whether he intends to be or not, he poses a threat to everybody's survival. And so Batman, as a hero, feels this obligation in a sense, to protect everybody from what they love. You know, to say, okay, you're you're going too far with this. So, uh, you know, 
second time watching the trailer was a, a pretty positive reaction on my part. And I think that's one of the interesting things about it as well is that um, I, I think that's kind of what's going to put Batman or Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor on the same side for a while in this film is that they're both going to have the same thoughts about this this Superman character. And um, I think it's going to be the interaction between, uh, you know, Superman, Batman, Clark, Bruce coming down to it. You know, I, I think... I think this film is going to start off with them being enemies, basically. Frenemies, whatever. Um, and that's going to be the first 25, 30 minutes of the movie. And then it's going to be the growth period. And then by the end, obviously, they're going to shake hands and be friends. One of the most interesting things is you brought up the Batman character. You know, I think you can see as well, there's that scene where he's standing there. You've got the great voiceover by Alfred Jeremy Irons talking about the the anger and everything and um it almost reminded me of Yoda anger turns to hate hate leads to suffering you know kind of thing <laughs> that he's he's talking about and it you know we know that this Batman's been at this for a while and it really does look like behind him there's a robin suit in a case much like we've seen um you know when one of the robins dies and i have a feeling that not only is Batman going to be sad Batman in the beginning of this film because he's been through a lot. He's had a Robin die, I think. And that's one of the things that makes him even less likely to, you know, um, be on Superman's side at this point. He doesn't trust anything or anyone. And his anger and bitterness, I think, is just going to be fed by Luther for a little bit. And it's really going to cause that animosity until they actually have the chat. You know, uh, it's time for what we'd like to call a Superman side chat. Um, and once they finally have that, I think uh, things might be okay. And that's like, too, maybe where Wonder Woman comes in as well. Both Wonder Woman and Superman kind of giving Bruce the realization of everything I've tried to do for the last, you know, however many years I've been Batman, I've been only semi-successful at. But if I had these people on my side, maybe I could really, we could do some good. Um, which... It's the dawn of justice. I mean, the movie is its pretty clear that we're setting up the Justice League and we're going to end up mostly friends at the end. So I, I, I love the premise here. I just think it's really, really great. And I like this trailer. I think it, that with that Batman side of it, I think they did a really good job of, of introducing that to us. See, I think Batman will probably end not as friends, but he will distrust everyone just a little bit less. I just I just see the way that <laughs> Batman going that way because Batman, obviously, he's not a joiner. We all know this from the history of, of who Batman is and what Batman does. Batman is an observer. He likes observing from afar and making his tactical decisions based on his observations. And I think at the end of this movie, what we're going to have is Batman understanding Superman and earning his trust and earning his respect as a peer not necessarily a friend. I don't think Batman's going to be there just yet. I think maybe in the third movie, if all of this comes full circle and we do get the Justice League, it would be neat if they were doing something, fighting side by side. But here, I just feel that it's a, it's a proving ground. It's kind of like training day between Batman and Superman. And the fallout will be, okay, 
we need to have you around because there are things that I can't stop, that I can't control. But in controlling your motivation, I can control the situation. That's the way I see Batman. So if it's like training day, who's uh, Denzel Washington's character? Batman, okay. clearly. We're, we're on the same page clearly. on that one. Yep. <laughs> well, and I think that that is, again, that's what makes it interesting is, you know, in the comics, Batman and Superman become best friends. You know, like they're the ones that they're the... they're. He, Bruce Wayne is the only one that Clark completely trusts and vice versa. Um, And in fact, you know, Clark is the one who gives him kryptonite to say, if I ever go nuts, you know, you are the one who who puts the bullet in me um, because you're the only one I trust to do that. So I think that's going to be a great thing to watch these two characters kind of come to that throughout these, you know, team up films. And uh, I, I think that's really interesting. I think the... Second thing for me in this trailer is that whole human reaction side. And, you know, Superman Returns that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Superman says, look, I hear the world crying out for a savior every day. But, you know, do they really want one that they can't control? I mean, it's it's a religious question as much as it is anything else. You know, and Superman is uncontrollable. So will we really accept that kind of savior who we have no control over but could be the best thing ever or will we reject him and and it's a it's a hugely biblical question in proportion i mean just uh and i love that to me the film is really challenging us with that big question of of how would we actually deal with somebody of this magnitude showing up on our planet and can we as humans accept a savior that we can't control and you know, with Superman, it's a, it is in the end. It's kind of a quasi-religious question uh, because he has, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the powers of a god, except for you know being omniscient and omnipresent. So, uh, everything else, he could rule the world if he wants to, and yet he always chooses not to. So, it, it's I just love this question because it's it's something that. Um, you know, I feel like only recently has really kind of been talked about it all really in the comics, you know, in the Donner films and then especially in a lot of the early comics, you know, Superman just comes on the scene and everybody just loves him, you know, but I just, we've seen, you know, um, savior type characters come on the planet before and that's not what happens. We crucify them. Well, that's um, historically uh, talking about the way that uh, Jerry Siegel crafted, crafted Superman, it was this, um, what happens if this ultimate Superman, because you know he was studying Nietzsche when he was writing Superman, what happens if this godlike being actually manifests itself, but is tempered with what the Kents tempered Clark with? Right. I mean, we were lucky that they found him, because if you read the uh, Elseworlds book, The Nail, it could have gone a completely different way. So, I mean, you have to take that into consideration when you're thinking about Superman. At least there was that. At least there was the foundation of good old-fashioned American Midwest's hearty um, humility and honesty that was bred into him at an early age. I mean, that's that's the only thing that's really stopping him from of uh, going the other way, really. Yeah, well, I mean, there was also the book uh, Red Sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he yeah. he lands on the other side of the globe, and he's fighting for you know truth, justice, and the Soviet way in that one, and it, that that one right. was a really good examination of like point of view, 
you know, uh, he, he was a hero to them, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, you know, there is a quasi religious thing, but I think there's also something that was touched on, um, if you will, in Nolan's dark Knight. uh, you know, uh, where they're talking about Caesar, where it's, you know, can you trust oh, yeah. somebody yeah. to have that power? Because if you give it to them, they might not give it back. You know, Superman has that layer of the power wasn't even given to him. He just had it. And I think that that's, um, that's definitely an interesting sort of uh, avenue to explore, too. Well, and it makes it interesting because in this version of, of Superman, you know, he doesn't have the fortress. He doesn't have space school to teach him all of these things that he goes off and learns. It's not just the Kents that, that instill him with some sort of, you know, morality and justice and all these things. It's also him being gone for that long and learning from his father how to control his powers, all of these things that are Kryptonian values as much as they are human values. And so in this version of Superman, it's very different because he doesn't have that, at least so far, and therefore that, I think, creates a really great need for, you know, people are asking, why are we putting Batman in this film? Well, because Superman doesn't have Jor-El, you know, to, in a fortress to teach him for 12 years. You know, he needs some some guidance. And I think that's why you bring somebody like Batman in here um, or you bring in a Wonder Woman. And that creates a really interesting story. And it does a great job of, as well, building up this idea of this Justice League and why these three people will be um, not only good friends, but the, the thing that kind of helps each person become better than they are, you know, which is actually what the Justice League in the comics does as well. And I think that's a really interesting thing to finally see be played out on screen, you know, um, because we've just never had that before unless it's, you know, a DC animated movie. And those things have been fantastic. But, you know, to see it like this is is just gosh darn exciting. It's swell, as Superman would say. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So on, on a, I guess, maybe a scale ranking of how excited you are for Batman v Superman now seeing the trailer, uh, where would you guys kind of put that, do you think? Well, I liked um, I liked the trailer the first time I saw it, and I like it more since I'm seeing it in a more proper way. The first time I saw it was you know was kind of very splashy across the internet, and you didn't get to see a lot of quality. And when you really take a look at the details inside the trailer, there's some really smart stuff going on. I I especially like the little touch to the Riddler's question mark uh, on the graffiti when Batman is waiting for Superman to descend. Um, for all of the fans who are uh, you know, or well steeped in the lore of Frank Miller's Dark Knight. I mean, you know that the Batman suit there is is ripped right out of that illustration, and those are the things that really excite me. I think that on a on a scale of one to ten, I would probably put it at eight Kryptonian crystals that haven't been thrown into the sea yet. Wow. Uh, you know what? I I will say that. Um Right now, thanks to the trailer, and a lot of this probably is tempered by the fact that I wasn't nuts about Man of Steel, but I would say that I am, uh, on a scale of crystals, Norm, I would say that I am uh, two clear crystals excited 
in danger of going green crystal with it. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I was already excited about the movie coming out and I like the trailer. I like that it's a, it's a challenging trailer. It's, it's not just the two beating the crap out of each other. You know, the easy thing you can do in a trailer to get people excited. You know, we're, we're talking about ideas here and, and I love superhero movies that do that. It's why I love Captain America 2. Um, it's why I enjoyed, you know, Man of Steel. Um, this is why I enjoy these. It's why I liked the X-Men films, uh, except for three, um, yeah. because they're always asking questions and they're making you think, not just accept. Um, and even when we talked about uh, Iron Man, the original, it, it has some great questions in it, you know, and when you do that in a superhero movie, it transcends itself and it makes itself um more important than it could be if it was just splashy comic book entertainment. And uh, so for me, yeah, um, I'm with you, Norm. I, I'd say I'm a, uh, about eight solid crystals excited. And, um, you know, that's pretty pretty swell if you ask me. So, There's that word again. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't <laughs> let it go, apparently. Uh, Superman has gotten a hold of me, and which is great because I'm glad we got talked about this because we're going to be looking at Superman Returns tonight. And... It, this was a movie that I remember when it was coming out, I was so freaking excited for because I loved Superman. And Superman is my favorite superhero, and he always has been. And uh, I think like Captain America, why he's my favorite Marvel character, it, it's that inherent goodness that's in them. It's it's that thing that sets them above, you know, they're the kind of moral paragons of virtue. Um, even when they don't always do the perfect thing, you know, they, they, um, they're trying, you know, uh, whereas some of the other heroes, you're, you're not, tr- they're not, not trying as much. Um, and, uh, so I remember being so excited about this movie and I was, I was going to ask you guys, you know, not that long ago, 2006, uh, where were you guys and, and what was your initial response to actually seeing Superman Returns in the theater for the first time. Well, I had a uh, probably a lower threshold than most because I remembered seeing uh, Superman four uh, when it came out, and that was a travesty. And it had been so long since Superman had ever been in the theater. And I I remember distinctly I went with my friend Joey, and I looked at him, and I said uh, shortly before the movie started, I said, you know what? All I want is in some way some hint of John Williams's theme in there because that is Superman to me because that is, you know, even more than Star Wars, it's probably my favorite Williams theme. I think it's it encapsulates the character so much. And so I sat down with my friend and we were sitting there and it started up and the music started and I was like, oh, oh, there it is. There it is. The moment that the uh the actual theme started up i think i fell in love with the movie because it hit that <laughs> nostalgic key that i needed so just one look yes basically and he knew i did know ooh, ooh. oh my gosh did i know but it sustained it through the movie because uh and i actually wrote about this back back at the time back when i blogged more frequently like I was so thrilled to have a character back, um, 
especially Superman, who wasn't an anti-hero. He wasn't a hard-nosed guy that was learning how to be good or anything like that. He was Superman. He was he was he was again, he was the the paragon of virtue in the sea of heroes that we got. I mean, we had just gone through the um prequel trilogy which is very dark and you know yeah Anakin eventually winds up doing the right thing after he's been Vader but he does all these horrible things so like this sort of heroic story from my childhood was turned darker and you know you had Wolverine was a big hit but he was you know the 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 gruff guy that you know heart of gold but you know still very anti-heroish and all of that stuff I loved I loved Superman Returns from the beginning it's one of the few movies that I still own on disc so that I can watch it, you know, any specific time. Like that that plane rescue sequence in the beginning. So oh good. Oh my gosh. So I got good. teary by the end of it because I was like, Oh, he's doing it. It's Superman. Right. And it was yeah. just you know, the movie's not perfect. There are a couple of sequences that are too long. There are a couple of scenes I would have cut out, but that's just me being a nitpicky fan. And at the end of it, this is a great movie, and I it it has bothered me for years and years the short shrift it has gotten from fans. I I am on board with everything that you're saying, John, um, and I'm just going to kind of expound on that a little more. When I saw it, I didn't know what to expect because it's it, we knew that it was going to be a continuation of the Christopher Reeve story, and you and I growing up. Christopher Reeve was he was our hero you know yeah. very much like Luke Skywalker was our hero in Star Wars and Captain Kirk is our hero in Star Trek Christopher Reeve was our hero he was the one true embodiment of a superhero in every sense of the yeah. word the way he walked on screen the way he just in Superman 2 in the Niagara Falls scene where he changes his personality from Clark Kent to Superman with just the lifting of his shoulders that's what a hero was to us to be able to just do that in the split second, it gives it still gives me goosebumps thinking yeah. about it. And you take all of that nostalgia and you bring that with you from his last movie in 1987 to 2006. And you you bring all that expectation to bear on this movie. And we're going to talk about the details in a little bit, but... You're right. At the very opening, when you hear that, dun dun dun, yeah, it's 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 very iconic. The way that John Williams can just completely immerse you in just a few notes, like Jaws, like Star Wars, and my favorite soundtrack of all time is Superman, the original movie from 1978. So when I saw that, then I saw the credits in the exact same treatment, and then that giant S just fly across the screen just like the first movie i was like i'm in i am wholesale (laughs) into this movie in the first two minutes and sure there are moments in the movie where yes you know if you want to like really kind of nitpick at it the narrative isn't where i wanted it to be but the spirit is where i wanted it to be and you were right there was a lot of really heavy trending superhero fantasy movies that were before this the Lord of the Rings, very epic, very fun, very darkened sometimes. The same thing with the prequel trilogy for Star Wars, and the same thing with the way that superhero movies were trending. 
the X-Men movies were a little on the darker side. Daredevil was a little on the darker side. The Fantastic Four, none of those really kind of inspired you to want to watch it for the heroes part of yeah. it. For the spectacle, yes, but not for the hero. And coming back to Superman, you always knew that, at least in this storyline, you were always sold on the hero. And that's what carried me through this movie from when I first saw it and then collecting it on the Blu-rays and the DVDs. You're right. I don't know why this movie has been just forgotten as a Superman movie. And then I can't believe some of the reviews online where I've read that it's the worst Superman movie of all time. That's that's insane. And I, that is that is patently insane. And I think it's I don't know what people wanted or expected from this film to say that. But I guess we can get into that a little bit later because there are, again, some challenges this movie had, one of which was its greatest strength, the nostalgia that it brought to the audience. But I felt that sometimes that nostalgia trapped it a little bit from a storytelling standpoint. Mm. I can forgive it because I grew up with it, but maybe for the audience that saw it at the time, it may not have been the best theme to carry, but for me, it sold me. And it brought me back to loving what I loved about Superman and appreciating what Brian Singer was able to do with it for a new audience. One of the things that I loved about the film, the first time I saw it was, it was just everything that I wanted to see Superman be able to do. You know, um, the effortlessness that they have Superman flying. And, I mean, the fact that there's the scene where he flies on his back and he uses his heat vision to dissolve a bunch of things that are falling on people. I mean, just stuff like that where you realize that Superman's power is so unlimited in so many ways and we have limited him because we haven't had the technology to do him correctly. And then, you know, this film... That was all open to them, and it looked amazing. Or just the simple fact that instead of going around the building, Superman punches through the building because he has to get to, you know, the Daily Planet ball before it drops as fast as possible. And going around the building is just too slow. Um, It just, it was really, really fantastic. And the things that Superman, he doesn't fly around the wing when it cracks off he just punches through the wing um because he's superman it's not gonna hurt him he can get hit in the eye with a bullet and it it doesn't even phase him he doesn't even blink you know a million dollar shot well spent million dollars mr singer well spent um all of these things make this movie so beautiful in that way and i remember coming out of it and 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 just saying you know there's things that I don't love about this film, but I'd rather enjoy it than be a hater. And I've always liked this movie. I've always liked this Superman movie. And there's things that I that, that there are issues with it, but irregardless of those issues, it's still a well-made, beautiful Superman film that, um, you know, it does. It fits pretty perfectly with the first two uh, Superman movies with Christopher Reeve and um, that's also a detriment to the film but dang if it don't look good now see I, you know with, with everybody I, I want to tack on just a little coda that 
what makes this work is the same thing that made the first Superman movie work in that Superman of the superheroes is like Rocky in this sense, in that he is the hero that behaves the way you hope you would behave if you were given these sorts of powers. Like, he really is that sort of paragon, you know, just like Rocky is like, I don't know if I'm going to win, but I'm going to keep fighting. Superman has that same sense of, you know, if somebody gave me Superman's powers, you know, it, it's so easy for the jaded person to laugh it off and be like, oh, well, I'd become a supervillain or anything like that. Like Superman is that sort of touchstone of no matter what, you know, you'll be a good person because you are a good person. It doesn't matter if somebody gives you unlimited power. And I, I think that that is the movie's greatest strength is that it speaks to that sensibility. Well, it goes all the way back to what we loved about the Christopher Reeve film films and it was about Superman and his relationship to people because that's who Superman is he is about protecting the people the people that he has been entrusted by his parents Jor-El and Laura and by his Kent parents Jonathan and Martha to defend because as the great Glenn Ford's Jonathan Kent said in the 1978 film you are here for a reason. I'm not sure what that reason is, but it's not for kicking footballs. But it's because there's something greater. You feel that sense of just this incredible responsibility for why he's here. And even though that you haven't seen this Superman since 1987 to 2006, I still think that this movie allows you to feel that because of that incredibly well-orchestrated sequence with the airplane. He did whatever it took to save the people. Yeah. And make sure that everyone in the airplane was okay and everyone in the stadium was okay because that's who Superman is. You know, that's that's what he does. He protects. He's the protector of Earth. Great point. Well, and it, it, it does that thing that um, it has the blessing of not being a, you know, reboot or retelling Um and so you get to jump in and just have Superman automatically be that character. And that's one of the benefits of doing the, the story like this. Um, and, you know, this film, you know, we're, we're back in the fortress. I mean, we're back here, at least the first two Superman films, because Singer doesn't pay attention to the other two. And, well, I don't think it, there's anybody who is disappointed by uh, that. Nobody should pay um, attention to three and four, yeah. really. You know, this, this movie had been in what we like to term development hell for a very long time obviously 87 to you know 2006 is when this comes out there's so many different places so many different scripts flying around there's so many different ideas uh, in fact they were going to film a movie called flyby with a script by jj abrams uh mg was going to direct they decide not to end up going with that. Let's not forget the well-known, well-documented Nicolas Cage costume for the Tim Burton uh, treatment. Yeah. I don't even want to think about that because you just made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. Can't wait to um, see that documentary. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, that'll be an interesting documentary. The movie, I'm so glad we never saw, personally. I just think it would have been horrendous. If people didn't like Zack Snyder's Superman, I don't think anybody would have liked Tim Burton's take on Superman. Nope. Yeah. Uh, Especially with Nicolas Cage, it just uh, anyway. So Brian Singer is is working on X Men Two. 
comes up with this idea for a Superman film where Superman has been gone for five years and then returns, hence the name Superman Returns. They take a look at the script, they like it, they decide to make this movie, and it is a, well, I mean, it's not really a sequel, but it's a pseudo-sequel to those two films. It takes them into account as if they happened. And let's talk about some of the ways that this really does affect this movie. For the good, I think, as we already discussed a little bit, and maybe to its detriment as well. Well, it's like putting on a new, like a, a favorite pair of shoes or your favorite pair of jeans. It's comfortable. For the fans that know the Christopher Reeve movies, especially one and two, you will know all of the inside jokes. You will know all of the nods and the winks back to those two films. Earlier on, I said something that Lex Luthor said when I was talking to John at the very beginning of the show because that's what Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor said in dialogue that he had with Ned Beatty and Valerie Perrine in 1978. So when you hear things like that, you're like, oh, I remember that. That was awesome. And that is a good trick to pull when it comes to doing a movie like this because you do have to compress over 30 years of time especially going all the way back to 81 with Superman 2, which is pretty much the the wellspring for Superman Returns. So you have all of that that you have to be able to service, but at the same time, you still have to be able to tell your own individual story. See, uh, the, the one thing, we've said this a couple of times, I actually challenge whether Superman 2 uh, has to exist in terms of Superman Returns. Um, because I'm not the world's biggest fan of Superman 2. I think that the stuff that Donner directed that you can clearly tell he directed is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think that the stuff that Lester directed that you can clearly tell Lester directed is not. And um, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't like cellophane S's? Well, I'm, no. I'm, I, that, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I mean, that and, and the murder of, of General Zod and his people? Well, you, you did, didn't yeah, like that? They, they were trapped. They weren't necessarily murdered. No, they're dead forever. I don't know about they that. They fell down in a hole that nobody knew had an ending. I don't know about they're that. They're dead. I, I think that, I think that it's possible. Superman murdered that in Superman 2. You don't know how physics work. There could have been updrafts. They're in development hell. That's where they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they're never coming out. I, I, don't, I don't know that I think that Superman 2 is necessary for the story of Superman Returns. And I think that actually well, that's one of the things I like best about it. Because I think that Superman 2 was awesome when I was a kid, but as an adult, I don't hold it in the same esteem as I do the first one. There are a couple of pretty significant details in Returns that harken back to Superman 2 specifically, one of which is when when Kitty said to Lex Luthor, it seems like you've been here before, and this is when they're talking in the Fortress of Solitude because he has been there before. That's true. Okay, fair point. And the fact that Superman and Lois have a kid... And that because can only the, have come from their time in the fortress in Superman 2. So it's a pretty big indication that Superman 2 has happened. <laughs> yeah, you know, could have been off screen. Could have been an expanded universe hookup. Well, there's a, actually a really interesting forum discussion on that because it was how could Superman have conceived a child with a human being? And the whole he was not Kryptonian at the time because he surrendered his powers to the radiation chamber at the at the warning of Laura in the hologram chamber, because once you do that, you can no longer return. 
until you find the green crystal that uh, returns well, all of your powers. Yeah. Yeah, yes. You remember that he's, <laughs> he's, it's not like they stripped his Kryptonian DNA out of him. So if he passes that DNA on to Lois, his kid's going to have Krypton. He might not have powers anymore, but that his son or daughter would still have the DNA of a super being and therefore at least be half as strong as he is probably and half as fast and that was another kind of point that people were splitting hairs about because if you did not remove his dna he still would have been super powerful he you had to been able to have done that so that he wouldn't exercise any power he wouldn't have been able to re- absorb any radiation i know this thing could this pe- this could be a podcast all in <laughs> itself so I, i'm gonna relent to uh to our constraint of time on this yeah, one. Yeah, but, uh, but I do want to say, so long as we're talking about the, this whole thing with the child, is that that was one of the things that I really um, liked most about Superman Returns was the dealing with the idea of, you know, him coming to terms with being a father when he didn't intend to be, um, but also the way that they handled the kid. Like, uh, you know, you have so many great moments where, you know, the, the kid is a half alien so he he isn't born with the superpowers he's born almost it's almost as if singer brought his sensibilities from the x-men franchise to be you know these things weren't going to manifest until uh you know a certain time in his life but also that scene with luther where he's holding the green the he's holding the kryptonite and the kid is sort of like his eyes glaze over and he starts sweating a little bit and luther just goes who's that boy's father? And she freezes for a second. She goes, Richard. And then like they get interrupted and it's like, that is such a beautifully handled scene. And the scene later too, when, when he, he recites what his father said, what Jor-El said Mm -hmm. when he's looking at the boy asleep in bed. Like that's just, that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. That's one of the greatest parts of this movie is Superman is a dad and coming to terms with like what that means is that's a that's really cool. Let's you can dovetail that all the way back to the beginning, where the reason why Superman left is because a scientist said to Superman that they found the remnants of Krypton, and much like any orphan child would, he wanted to go and find any trace of his biological people, and once he obviously did not. He came back to Earth, and at the end of the movie, he has discovered that he is no longer the last Kryptonian Right. if, if this child is, in fact, his. So that, must, that changes him forever because now it's not the responsibility of just being a, a father. It's a, it's a responsibility for being a guardian for the next Kryptonian who the, supposedly the race was lost, and it's no longer the case. That changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, it makes for, I think, a really interesting storyline. And, you know, one of the things that following the Donner films and kind of creating that that same milieu is, is really interesting, especially in 2006, after we have had the X-Men films and we've had Batman Begins. And I think... You know, one of the reasons that people didn't respond to this movie is that we're just expecting it to feel a little less ancient. Um, they were expecting it to feel more modern take on Superman. Um, 
instead of a loving representation of a, a Superman from really another time. And I think that's where the film in its its reverential nature, you know, Singer is not really taking any risks by telling us this story uh, in this way because you're going to make some money. Um, a lot of people are going to like it because it reminds them of their childhood, and yet there's there's really no risk involved with telling this story this way. There's there's nothing new you're telling us about the character, really, about Superman. You're not stretching anyone at all. I think that's really where people got frustrated is they went into this movie kind of expecting something big and grandiose and um, amazing because, heck, we've got the technology to make Superman do incredible, amazing things and and create this um, incredible, amazing movie. And then this is what we get, which is a very melancholy Superman story, which as much as this fits into the Donner mold, it's very unlike those films in the same sense because of its kind of slow, morose nature. Um, you know, it, it has this, and I, I, I'm sorry, morose is probably not the right yeah. term, but it's a melancholy film. Um, you know, Superman is, is depressed. It's like depressed Superman. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that though. I think that there's a real effort in this movie because he has been off screen for so long. They need to reintroduce him to an audience while at the same time forwarding a story, while at the same time trying to show him mature a little bit, which he does in the course of this film. And I think that the sensibilities of the audience are different by the time Superman comes back, which is why this sort of stumbles in terms of audience opinion. But I think that there's a real... I was thinking about this you know, as we were getting getting ready to start... Um, something I was thinking about is, in a sense, this is this faces the same hurdle as the motion picture does for Star Trek, because it has to reintroduce it has to reintroduce these characters to new people who aren't familiar with them, while at the same time advancing the story for people who are familiar with them, while at the same time trying to introduce a character arc that takes the main characters on some sort of journey. Like, yeah, Superman starts, I'll give you the word melancholy, but then by the end, he's back to where, you know, he's flying through the clouds and he is Superman again. Mm -hmm. Like, I I really think that, and even including the, you know, sort of the, the development hell that it was in for a little while, the motion picture sort of went through that in a sense as well. And so I I think that Superman Returns is, in a sense, the motion picture for Star Trek. And I think that Trek fans can gain an understanding if if you don't like the motion picture too much, but you know somebody who does, and there are people who do like the motion picture. Superman Returns is a good way in to understand why there might be... uh, you know, a, a misunderstanding in the fan base or for certain fans where it's like, why don't you like this? Look what they did with it. You know? You know, I think it's actually a little bit more akin to the 2009 Star Trek as well because you're taking these established characters that you know from the original series. And at least the motion picture had the advantage of having the same actors. 
you know, you're having William Shatner as Kirk and Leonard Nimoy as Spock and, mm. and the whole retinue of, of the original acting cast. But in 2009, you still have to sell these characters as if they were the characters from what you know with completely new actors. And I think that that was also the challenge for Superman Returns because Christopher Reeve was so loved as Superman. You, yes, you had Tom Welling in the 10 years of Smallville and everyone was expecting Tom Welling to kind of like take on uh, the expanded role in this film. And I'm not sure if that caused a backlash with the fans. I mean, that's, you know, that could be debatable. But you also had other actors in the part. You know, you had Superman on TV with Lois and Clark. You had Dean Cain playing him to some degree. You know, everyone liked him. But nobody in the history of playing this character, maybe with the exception of George Reeve, just latched on to the hearts and the souls and the spirit of the American public the way that Christopher Reeve did as Superman. And maybe it's because it was really the first time he was introduced as this character. But there are just those perfect synergistic moments of casting and acting that just are indelible in film history. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan being one of them. Nobody can nobody not even I don't I don't think even in the history or in the future of what Conan is going to be if ever he gets on the screen again after the Momoa film no one will ever come close to being what Conan was when Arnold was Conan and I think that's the same thing with Christopher Reeve so when Brandon Routh is coming in and trying to take on the mantle to to absorb what the audience is expecting I think he did a really great job yeah not only just emulating Christopher Reeve, but also making Clark and Superman 2006 modern. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do. I think that that is, I think what you said, John, is a perfect um, just ex- explanation of the film and, and why so many people, it, it didn't work for them. And for some people, it does. Um, and... You know, I think that what you were saying, Norm, is one of the reasons why so many people just kind of didn't latch onto this film is because you're referencing something that is 28 years old by this point. And so a lot of people and the kids going to see this movie don't necessarily have the nostalgia for Superman the way that the older generation would have. And that's who you're kind of wanting to capture with this film. And that's what it's not doing is it's... It's not as exciting or enjoyable as those X-Men films were that Brian Singer had done and and, and really kind of bringing the kids in. It's it's not Batman Begins in that way where you know you're you're capturing a new audience with a a, a new story of Batman. And um I think that those are kind of some of the other reasons that this just didn't catch on for a lot of people. Heck, I like this movie. I still watch it and you know my wife and I watch it this weekend and I still enjoy getting a chance to sit down and, and watch this film, which is great, you know, but I can understand why it doesn't kind of work for some fans and why it didn't end up working for the studio as well because of where the character kind of ends up at the end of the movie. And I guess where the pendulum swing of society is at that point with superhero films, you know, um, it's a it's a different it's a different world at that point and Superman Returns doesn't take that into account and that doesn't make it a bad movie it just makes it a movie out of time. Yeah, but I also th- I also think what contributes to it 
is the fact that it was it was sort of set up to fail in terms of like an accounting or franchise standpoint because they folded in all of those development costs to it and the studio had gone through and like you know they they folded in costs from like Kevin Smith writing it and from uh, mm-hmm. uh Tim Burton working on it and so all of this baggage is with it so unless that movie unless Superman Returns did like a billion dollars there was no way they were going to like at this I, I think that it got released through inertia and uh, if it hadn't been I think for Singer pushing so hard working so hard to make it happen I think that this languishes continues to languish until Man of Steel comes out and I you know I have a friend who constantly points out and he he's right to that Superman Returns box office receipts are not that far off from Man of Steel's yet Man of Steel spurs on a franchise and an expansion and all of these different things. I really think that Superman Returns for the studio is something where they just said, okay, let's just release it. We're going to reboot no matter what. And so I think it was doomed from the beginning. It could be. And I think that's where we should kind of jump into the story. Um, because for them, the, you know, the studio's reason for not continuing with this kind of version of Superman was that it doesn't really leave them where they want it to be story-wise. I can understand as well. There's there's not a lot of... It's hard to have this this Superman... Again, the story here and, and the whole feel of the movie and everything about it feels like it's a movie that belongs in a different time period. Um, just from the production design and everything about it feels more like a movie from the 30s, 40s, or 50s than it does a movie of that modern, you know, we're in 2006. It just doesn't feel like that type of movie. Again, it doesn't make it a bad movie. I just understand the studio's point of being like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, And I don't know if people necessarily know what to do with this. Um, so because this story is is pretty interesting. I mean, we're we're taking Superman. We're actually trying to make him more relatable. Um, they are trying to kind of deal with that isolationism that you feel as Superman, that the character feels, which was nice. Um, I don't know if it's always successful because I think he comes off a little melancholy and a little emo to some people. Um, and then, of course, he's kind of stalkerish in the film, too. <laughs> When he's, uh, you know, looking in on on uh, Lois and and the family there, and I think that kind of struck people wrong. Um, even though, again, it's 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 worked in the film. Like this, this is his old love, and this is one of the things I think that drove him back to Earth, and he was thinking about, and then she's gone, and we've all been there before, you know, that girlfriend that we thought we were gonna be with, and she moved on, and we were like, dang it. So I thought like, the whole thing, it was really interesting because it's kind of making Superman a, a relatable guy. Like he's he's just like you and me. He had the girl get away. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the stalkerish thing, I, I've, I've heard that complaint about it before. And the reason I, I sort of, the reason I don't buy into it is specifically because like we're a generation, like you might as well go back to Say Anything, that movie. Where he's standing on the front lawn with his big boombox and everything. Yeah. You know, John Cusack is lauded as a romantic hero for that movie. 
you know, like Superman is just like he's a he's a guy who's heartbroken because he comes back and he finds it like Lois Lane has written an article saying we don't need like the love of his life has written won an award for writing an article saying eh, he eh. not only do I not care we about him, you. we wish he'd never been here. It's like, ow, come on. Going back to something that John that you brought up earlier it's this is this is the superman and with the powers and the abilities that again if it was given to you or i what would we do with those abilities and if we were in his shoes i don't see our behavior out of the realm of possibility from what he's doing he's sure he can see through walls and if he wanted to check up on somebody that you know like i love lois and lois isn't with me so is she safe is she happy i can you know and just because i'm kryptonian i can see through everything so i'm going to check up on her i mean it's i know that sounds really glib but the reality of it is that he can and it doesn't make him i mean it would have made him a little bit more threatening if he actually did something about it like something physical right he doesn't he doesn't bust into the house and be like "Uh, you got no secrets i'm gonna like he he takes one peek and he's like "Eh, i don't belong here oh well right and it's she's moved on everyone's moved on yeah and he's hurt that's one of the things that i like about this movie is that you know superman when they have that whole flying scene you know they almost kiss and then they kind of pull away and but that whole scene I love is is not so much about Superman trying to win her back. It's about him trying to win back her belief in the the shield, the Superman. The you know when he takes her up in the air and he says, "What do you hear?" and she's like, "Nothing." And he says, "I hear everything." And he says, "You know, I you wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but I hear one the world crying for one every day." And I just really love that scene because it's not him trying to win back her love it's trying to win back her respect for what he does as superman yeah um what he stands for and i think that's a really beautiful thing because then there's that other great scene where he's he's flying and he flies up in the air and he's just hovering above the earth and it's a very savior type thing um and he's listening to the world you know and he's and I loved that they answered that question. How does Superman know where to go? Well, because he just listens. Yeah. And that whole scene, it's just such a beautiful scene with the, the playover of Marlon Brando, you know, um, Jarrell talking to him, remembering what his father said. And I just think all of that is just such a really beautiful picture of, of what we think of as Superman. That even though maybe his personal life's not going so well, it it's not really going to affect who he is, which is to be the hero. And that's, that's what I like. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing people go, Oh, that's what I didn't like about man of steel. Uh, because he's not doing that. And I'm going to remind all those people that this Superman has had years and years of being this person and 12 years of space school with Papa Jarrell <laughs> teaching him how to, you know, be Superman and to do all these things. Uh, doesn't doesn't happen in Man of Steel. It's a completely different type of story uh, and a storytelling device and everything for that Superman. You you can't compare the two. And so that's, I think, this, when it's hearkening back to everything we had with Donner, that's where it is. It's doing it so, so beautifully. Well, I, I'll also offer that you see uh, an homage 
in Nolan's The Dark Knight has the same sort of one of the themes in that movie is very much echoes what you hear the voiceover from um, from Jor-El in uh, in Superman Returns. There are good people, Cal. They wish to be. They only need someone to show them the way. It's the exact same theme in The Dark Knight. The Joker's trying to prove that everybody's awful, and Batman's saying, no, no, they're good. You just got to give them a chance to be good. And in a sense, that's that informs this Superman as well. And that, you know, again, that's another reason why I love Superman Returns so much, is it's not just about faith in Superman. It's about Superman saying to everybody, I have faith in you. You can be good. You know, let's do this thing. Let's make it good. We don't have to be less than that. I mean, what I like is you do hear a lot of Marlon Brando's Jor-El in Russell Crowe's Jor-El. And, and not in the, the performance. You know, they're two completely different performances, two completely legendary actors. But the spirit of it, because Matthew, and you can correct me if I, if I mess this one up, but, you know, there's that when, when Russell Crowe's Jor-El says, you know, they will stumble and they will fall. That's what yeah. Marlon Brando was saying. Like they're good. Yeah, you know these these, these people are yeah. good. One people. day they're gonna join you in the sun, and uh, in time you will help them accomplish wonders. Is Wonder, what he yeah. says. Yeah, and that's I love that that spiritual carryover because that's what makes Superman Superman in both movies. The guidance that he has, not just from the Kents, but from Jor El, so that his plan. Jor El had this plan for his son he chose earth for a reason because it would give him the survivability that his son needed to become the last surviving person of krypton last surviving son of krypton he needed that advantage to survive that's what marlon brando said and along with that fatherly advice either embedded in the crystals or embedded in the usb drive (laughs) 10.0 you know (laughs) <laughs> referencing our Man of Steel discussion yeah. all the way back then. But that's what Jorel needed to do. He's like, I can't just abandon my son in a rocket ship. I have to plan for his development. And you see that echoed very beautifully between both movies because that's, again, you have to pay that kind of respect when you're coming from one property of a movie to another property of a movie. And, and, and not doing so, you will feel that in the audience's reaction. Because I do think that there are really good moments in Man of Steel that are spiritually brought from the Christopher Reeve films, at least one and two. Well, it is uh, one of the things that is really interesting um, is that, you know, going all the way back, you know, um, there are two Jewish boys writing a story about a savior and a messiah type character and that always carries forward in everything that we see superman be and do and i think that that's um i think that's really an interesting thing and that's why i think so many people even without knowing it, is why they kind of gravitated towards superman is that there's something about him that reminds us of something else and um you know that idea of a of a savior type character you know and whether we need him or not which you know this movie is asking that question and in a bigger way as we talked about with the trailer batman v superman they're going to be asking that question as well and and what do you do when one shows up do you really want him if you can't control him 
Um, here, you know, this is very much rooted in that old style universe uh, that Superman shows up, everybody's excited, except for, you know, uh, Lex Luthor, who i got to say, you know, his plan and his evilness have shot up a thousandfold since the Donner films. Uh, you know, he blew up uh, <laughs> California, you know. That's pretty awful. Well, he tried to blow up California. Yeah. yeah. Otisburg. Mean, Superman just reversed the... Otisburg. Yeah, so. Otisburg? It's with a little bitty place. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Tessmacher's is bigger, I swear. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, yes. It, he does definitely enter into... Um, you know, to, to speak to the point of maybe, you know, the sensibilities belong to an earlier era... Yeah, Luther's plan is very uh it there there's no sort of rational sort of uh Star Trekky sort of ex- scientific explanation you can give it. It's just cartoonish supervillainy. It's I'm going to shoot a crystal in and create a new continent. And it's like um wait, what? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, one that my arch nemesis can't do anything about because it's made of kryptonite. So, I mean, he's not, it's not doing it for no reason. Well, that, yeah, he's doing it because he doesn't want Superman to be able to stop him at all. I I mean, but see, that's, that's where the beauty of like his strategy is. It's, it's there, you know, it's he, I mean, he could have just used the crystals for the crystal's sake, but he knew that he had to have a contingency plan. And I think, you know, Lex, Lex has very, very, deep layers of brilliance gene hackman brought him a certain way to the screen yeah he and kevin spacey brought him in a certain way to the screen gene hackman's luthor in 1978 and 81 in the and three and four it was different it was well i'm sorry not three but four yeah he was he was lovable as lex i mean he was like you wanted to almost kind of root for him because he was just so unbelievably (laughs) charismatic that's true you know, yeah, and you're not Kevin's, rooting yeah. for Spacey. You no, know, Spacey is more of the he's Ooh. more of the Luthor that I think in the comics he's just this seething hatred for Superman uh embodied in a kryptonite shank. I mean yeah. I've never seen that kind of vengeance exacted on Superman on TV or in movies until that very moment. And that really brought the gravitas of Spacey's performance right just hitting it right on the head. You know, with well, a ball pin hammer. And you really knew that it was different when they have the scene on the boat between him and Lois, you know, and he's like, yeah. oh, come on, let me hear it. It's just, it's just dangly on the tip yeah. of your tongues. And she's like, Superman will never let you. Wrong! And you just, you know that he can't wait to jab that thing. Well, he brings... Right into Superman. He, he yeah. brings that sort of, you know, he's had how long to just be angry about it. And it's like, yeah. you know, it, it's, there's so much in the movie that narratively it's uh, easy enough to sort of lose sight of the fact, you know, uh, yeah, the movie is stuffed with everything. But like Luther's plan is sort of moving along before Superman shows back up, as it were. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it's easy to sort of dismiss it as like he came back because Superman came back. And it's like, no, it's just sort of a perfect. Maybe that's something that could have made fans feel better is if Luther had been completely dormant until Superman showed up and it sort of triggered him into, OK, 
I got to come back now. Like as opposed to they were on separate tracks that then went parallel, but there was never any sort of addressing of the plan being altered for the sake of like, there was no straight up uh, discussion scene where he's like, I'm changing what I'm going to do because Superman is back. Like this is just what he was going to do anyway is sort of the sense that you get. John, what if, what if in prison he was still working on that alpha wave box oh. that he used in Superman yes. two, And then all of a sudden <laughs> it was just junk in the corner of his cell he was just tinkering around with it, and all of a sudden it started ticking. Yes. At the very beginning of the movie. Oh. And then it goes into the credits. Dun, 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 that would be great. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that <laughs> would have, I think there would have been a warmer reception for it. Yeah, I definitely think so. Well, we, the movie does really play a lot on the nostalgia of all of these characters. And seeing the row of wigs mm-hmm. on the boat goes all the way back to all the great crazy wigs that Hackman wore in the in you know in the original movies seeing the crystalline shards exactly the same way that you saw them in previous movies it's not like they redesigned them it's as if they just kind of like opened up the vault and dusted everything yeah. off so they did a really good job making sure that this through line capstones what they're trying to do in this movie and that's trying to finish this era, I think, of the Christopher Reeve Superman, the Richard Donner Superman, because I agree with you when you said earlier on that I think that they were going to reboot this whole property anyway. And maybe they were just like, you know what? Okay, if we do that and we're already invested in all of this production, let's do something that's a true Valentine for the fans. That's what this movie was for me. It, it never felt like it was going to go further than this. And what they gave us was probably the greatest Valentine superhero movie that I think I've ever seen. And what's heartbreaking about that is that I did read an interview with Singer where he said that uh, it it disappointed him because he had plans for a sequel where he referred to it as he was going to Wrath of Khan it. And I never heard anything further about it, but that just for me, I was like, oh, he would have brought Zod back, wouldn't he? Zod would have come back and it would have been a, you know, a a return to form for that. It would have been Superman 2 redone on a giant scale with modern effects. Could you imagine like them slowly rising from the waters in the Fortress of Solitude? Yes, I can. I absolutely can. You know, just think they were doing, they were doing nuclear testing in the Antarctic and all of the fusion from the energy of that testing somehow irradiated the ground in and around the Fortress of Solitude because they don't know it's there. Yeah. And it gave them just enough atomic energy to be able to reach out of the water and then the sun rays hit their hands <laughs> or and they start charging. Or even if you want to give it sort of a, a modern, because everybody likes to give sort of a, a, a modern sense of the, the scientific importance of issues, global warming causes the ice to start melting and then a hole in the ozone allows extra radiation to come in and they're able to bust out of the ice perfect there you go oh my god i love it why are why are we not working (laughs) in hollywood i don't know what what, what's happening i really wish we we seem it seems like they've made a mistake yeah um it's uh you know i one of the things that i like about this movie 
was was some of the story elements you know having superman gone for five years when he was it does a good job of explaining why he's not here for 9-11 um you don't have to deal with that at all um because of the time frame of the film and and so i thought that that was kind of smart um i did like that um the idea that you know here that Superman does go looking for Krypton because uh, an astronomer, they think they've found it. And and why wouldn't you go and try and see if there's something left of your planet? It just makes sense. Um, you know, I, I like all of those parts of the story. I, I think it's it makes for an interesting story, um, you know, of course, when he returns and that they've had humanity's had to try and deal with it. And, and then you can understand why... Lois might write that article then when you realize that, you know, something like 9-11 has happened and Superman hasn't been there to stop it. Lex Luthor's gotten out of prison because Superman hasn't been there. Um, All of these things have happened in his absence and the world has changed. And yet at the same time, I, I do think that that's one of the things that kind of hurts the movie is because being so much a slave to nostalgia, our world has been rocked and it's totally different now. And... That's why people, I think, gravitated towards, you know, Nolan's Batman is because it fit in a post 9-11 world. This, I think, in some ways, it maybe have just reminded people of how sad that we had lost this sense of nostalgia in, in, in our superheroes. Um, and uh, that's not this story's problem because I don't think this story suffers because of that. I just think it's when the film comes out. I think that's real. I mean, this movie had come out, you know, in say 2000. I think this movie would have been a huge hit. I just think it comes out in 2006, and it's it's a few years too late. That so. you know, I, that that's a that's pretty yeah. You know, I, like have we created a world now? Like because not just 9/11, but also a lot of the atrocities we read about. Uh, worldwide um, to to speak to the, you know, uh, Lois writing the article, not only are these sort of horrible things that we're aware of now happening uh, on a, on an almost comic book type scale in terms of how people are, you know, conducting their lives and, you know, worldwide, but also we're surviving and we're making it without heroes in a sense, like I now, I'm not, I'm not discounting anything that that is heroically done by real people because those things do happen. But I'm saying, like, we live in a world now where we don't, we're less apt to believe in the idea of the the type of superhero that Superman is. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's, I think you're right, Matt. That's an actually that's a great point. I agree, Matthew. Um, there was a a huge loss of innocence spiritually and as a people after nine eleven. I mean, that was it was. I can't even put that into words. What that did to the world, not just to the United States, definitely not just to New Yorkers. What it did to the world culturally, um, emotionally, it's still it's still a, probably one of humanity's deepest scars, and. A superhero can't fix that. And I'm surprised that 
I would love to have seen a, a version of the script to see if they even touched on that. Like, this is what happens when Superman is gone. But it would, you know what? That's a reality. There, that, yeah. You know, there that's was just a, a mention re- of 9-11 in the movie and they took it out. Um, so I, I think they were really sensitive, especially even then. You're just really sensitive to that. Um, and uh, to, to even insinuate that somehow Superman could... I mean, he obviously could have stopped it, but it just... It's too close to home at that point, I think, even then. And maybe even now, it's just a, uh, it just, it hurts, you know, to think uh, that somebody could have stopped it like that. And then, of course, they wouldn't be there. So, right. And just to, because the way that has changed everything, the, the way that people think, uh, as, as we think as a culture now, Superman prior to that was this intangible ideal. You know, he was, he was this, it was almost indescribable when you think about him because he can do so much and do so many things. And, but when you think about how it applies to nine 11, one of my all time favorite quotes from any movie is from Superman. It's, and when it's when Clark was talking about not being able to save Jonathan Kent, he's like all these things that I can do and all these powers and I couldn't even save him. And that's kind of like the Superman post nine 11. It doesn't matter how strong he is. He can't do everything all at once and you can't put all of your hope into a savior. And I think that's where Batman versus Superman is going. Batman doesn't want humanity to rely on someone who can't do everything for them, no matter how hard you believe that it's possible. Batman says, it's just not real. You can't have that. And it will be a really interesting dichotomy to see unfold on screen because that's who Superman is. Superman's that hope that you put everything in because he flies above the earth and he hears everything from a cat stuck in a tree to a nuclear bomb going off in the San Andreas Fault. He can save both if he wanted to. But the reality is he just can't in this post-9-11 society. Yeah, where where also people are, I mean, frankly, far more monstrous than, you know, like Lex Luthor wants to create land that Superman can't go on and create a new continent. And even that, isn't the same level of sort of like, you know, in a sense, I wish there was a Lex Luthor that was trying to do something like that rather than some of the stuff that's happening around, you know, uh, in the world today. And I think that um, if, if you take into account and just think about this quick man of steel aside, take into account that, that Martha and, and Jonathan Kent are raising their son and something like, 9-11 happens as they're raising Clark and the world does change and no wonder Jonathan and Martha become fearful for their son as you know we get fearful for illegal aliens being in our country and all of these things how are people going to deal with an extraterrestrial who has amazing strength super hearing you know all of these things that you it really when you come down and you think about the reality of where they're placing that movie, it really adds up. It really makes sense. I think all those story elements and why it's different because they are taking into account that the world is different and we we look and we act about things differently than we used to. 
And, uh, you know, we even do see that. We see that in the Marvel universe, too. There are people that are not happy with these superheroes being on this on this on the scene. Um, on a whole, the population seems to be more on their camp. You know, we don't see a lot of that. But, you know, there's still it's it's a great question. And I think um, it it just um, it adds another layer of complexity to our superheroes and, and those stories that. Um, it makes them fun to read and it just gives us great new questions to think about. Um, I think my all-time favorite scene, though, aside from the plane scene, is when Superman lands on New Krypton. And it's the first time I'd ever seen the power of Superman just displayed. That if he wants to, if he lands, he can create a crater. You know, and he just sure. slams onto that new continent and it just spider webs out. And you just realize the raw power of Superman and how he's holding it back. And I just, that to me, that was one of those, Oh my God, kind of scenes. Cause it was so cool. Uh, for me, I'm going to say that, uh, you know, probably because it's some sort of nod to the comics or whatever, but when he flies up to the sun to sort of supercharge himself, mm-hmm. yeah, like that, I, I just talking about it, I get goosebumps where it's like, yes, you know, like that, that's, he's going to do business. Like, this is serious what's going to happen right now. And it's just, you know, it's like, um, it, it, to go back to, you know, talking about Rocky again, it's like in Rocky 2 where, you know, Adrian looks up at him, you know, and she says, just do one thing for me. What's that? Win. Win. Yeah. You know, and then, like, the, the fight Boom. music starts. Boom. It's like, yeah. yes, yep. yes, he's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know this sounds really weird, but... If we're going for our favorite scenes in this movie, it's my favorite scene is literally the last like three seconds that you see Superman on screen. It's because he he flies Brandon Routh's Superman. He I guess he inherits the closing final flight path scene as Christopher Reeve did in every one of his movies where he goes around the earth and then he kind of comes in screen right then folds his arms back, takes a look around, smiles, and then goes screen left, forward, off camera. And even just talking about it, I'm like, that's it, it always brought a smile to my face because that reminded me of a different time. You know, and that's what we're kind of getting at with the whole premise of this movie. It it is from a different time. It's a different type of storytelling for superheroes. You're right, Matthew, it's it's a story that was told out of context of its own time the time where Christopher Reeve was Superman. And I think I've said his name probably a hundred times in this podcast because Christopher Reeve is my superhero. He always has been. Um, even if he wasn't Superman in other, in other movies, it's just that the way he, it's just how he carried himself as an actor, as a human being, as a humanitarian. Um, that's a superhero when he can carry that off screen as well. So the way that the music unfolded and the way that it capped the end of the movie and the way that that scene happened. It's just everything was right for me when it comes to all of the trappings that Superman returns needed to be part of that universe. And I think it really closed on just a very good note and bookended the entire series very well. I do have to ask you guys a question uh, just about the very end of the film um, and with the whole new Krypton, Superman supercharges and then goes and lifts an entire continent. 
uh, and throws it into space. What did you guys think about that? Because I know for a lot of people, it it just it was like, eh, it's okay. Um, you know, it, it's there's nothing to punch. You know, Superman doesn't punch anybody in this film. Uh, you know, there's there's none of that stuff. Um, but what do you guys think about the way that, you know, this story wraps up here with this whole, you're lifting an entire continent made out of kryptonite into the sky? Because, um, I mean, I've got my opinion, but I want to hear you guys think first. Well, he didn't punch anybody in the first movie either. That's true. He does not. And he lifted an entire, not just, I mean, he, he lifted the entire San Andreas fault to fuse California back Onto the continent. Yeah, that is true. Yep. That's true. After being poisoned, he's got a lot of practice kryptonite. with lifting continents. <laughs> I mean, it's yes. There, there was a there was a definite parallel of that journey from you know from the first movie to this last movie, and the way I saw it was that again, Superman was thinking of humanity. His the way that he was able to ignore the effects of the kryptonite was his love for the people. He needed to protect these people. He needed to save them from this evil. And in doing so, he risked everything to do that. I mean, he risked his own life. And that, of course, that goes into the whole, um, he sacrificed his only son, you know, for the greater good, you know, Catholic, um, Catholic and Christian uh, parallel to that. But that's the way I took it. That's, that's the way I've always taken Superman. The Superman would go to every length to be able to save one person, let alone all of Earth. Yeah, I it, I completely agree. Like S- Superman is the the superhero embodiment of that ideal that there's no length he won't go to. And for all he knew he was going to die at the end of that, but it didn't matter. Like that had he had to do it. There was no there was no second alternative, there was no doubt, there was no oh, I have to see if I can find some way around this. He just said, "Okay, you know what?" If I die, that's the way it's got to be. And, you know, even his fall, like after he throws the the chunk out into space and falls back down and everybody's trying to save him, you know, that whole sequence, I thought, was was beautifully handled. You know, just that idea where suddenly people understood what they would lose if somebody like Superman not even the superpowers, but somebody like Superman, somebody that was willing to go the distance for everybody, what the world would lose if so much as one person like that wasn't in it anymore. Do you know what I loved about that scene? And maybe it's just because, again, this is the way we are now as a society. No one was tweeting that. Yeah. No one was Facebooking that. <laughs> no, they were just taking you know, you know flip phone camera yeah. pictures of it. Yeah. But it was kind of so. neat to see that that wasn't there. Yeah, because it would totally, I think, maybe be going on and it kind of takes a little bit of the sincerity out of that scene. But that scene also reminded me a lot of what happened uh, when the crowd kind of uh, they embraced what happened to Spider-Man at the end of Spider-Man or not in the middle of Spider-Man too, when he stopped the train from derailing Spider-Man. He yeah. just he sacrificed everything and he was exhausted and then he was about to fall. And then all the people, the New Yorkers came to his aid and they made sure that he was cradled and taken care of and they didn't remove his mask because they respected who he was yeah. mm-hmm. and respected what he meant to all of them and they could have done the exact same thing to superman they could have done facial analysis the government could have 
came in and, and done all the black bag stuff, but they didn't because this is Superman. This is this is the in direct contrast to what they would have done in Man of Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we live. I think it's a great correlation of just the the difference, the times that we live in. You know, the the cynical nature with which everything is done these days, especially in fandom. And I think uh, that's one of the things that we the the it really is. We live in this kind of um, milieu of cynicism that's overshadowed everything from our political life to our spiritual lives to our um, you know, entertainment lives, everything has been jaded by this cynicism. And Superman Returns is a movie that doesn't have any of that acknowledged, uh, whereas all of the newer superhero movies do. And that's what makes this movie pretty beautiful. And, um, I, you know, I personally love that scene where Superman literally dies carrying the sins of the world on his back throwing it out of the space. I mean, that that's the metaphor that they're going for. You know, uh, Superman is the sa- savior, the literal savior. Um, you know, he's he's saving billions of people all at one time by taking it on his back, what will kill him. And I, I just, I think that's a beautiful scene. And it's, it is what makes us love Superman in the end, that he would give his life for us. And it is that, biblical picture of there's no greater love than he who would lay his life down for another and we all respond to that even if you're not a christian because i think we all hold to that as being the ideal for all people to treat all others like that and because superman embodies that um that's that's what we love and that's what people were upset about not seeing as much of that in the man of steel film which i can understand it's just again, it's a different, completely different type of of story, and a completely different type of hero film, and much more. Uh, it's just a different. It's just a different story for Superman, and um, and that's okay because you know we've had the Donner films and we've had Singer's film, and we we we're telling just a different story now. So, what do you guys think about? As we're getting, we need to kind of round down, but the actors filling these roles, you know, Brandon Routh, Superman, Kate Bosworth, Kevin Spacey, James Marsden, Parker Posey, Frank Langelia, Sam Huntington, and then, of course, uh, rounding out the cast with the great Eva Marie Saint from North by Northwest, one of my favorite all-time films with Cary Grant um, as Martha Kent. This movie is jam-packed with a lot of people. Well, you know, this is the toughest thing for this movie because it's so deeply resonant of the Christopher Reeve movies that they needed to find the spiritual successors, if not the physical embodiment of the of the successors, the spiritual successors of these actors. I think Brandon Routh was absolutely fantastic, not just as Superman, but as Clark Kent, because he has that same kind of physical comedy that Christopher Reeve brought to Clark Kent, that awkwardness and just that... Just the ill timing that Clark had, the the social non-grace, if you will, of just being this bumbling person because he has to be completely on the opposite end of the spectrum to cover his secret identity. And, you know, let's just kind of put that out on the table. It's still secret identity time in this movie. The glasses still hold up, maybe except to um, little Jason because he can see through all that. But it's still about, I'm going to put on the glasses, I'm Clark Kent, I'm taking off the glasses, I'm Superman. So I thought he did a really good job there. 
I think Kate, when I first saw this, I wasn't really all that invested in Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane because, you know, Margot Kidder for me was Lois Lane. Um, for all intents and purposes, that's who Lois Lane was. Uh, I don't think she did a terrible job at it. I, I felt that she and Brandon Routh had good chemistry and she was very serviceable as Lois Lane. And I think she had some good moments from time to time, but I always felt that Lois Lane just needed to be a little bit more chewing through nails tougher as a Pulitzer Prize winning New York reporter or Metropolis reporter. Uh, I can't even say enough great things about Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. When I first saw him in The Usable Suspects as Kaiser Soze, oh, sh- did I spoil that for people? <laughs> Come on, Norm. <laughs> You're going to get us Jeez. banned on Google with their uh, anti-spoiler thing. Gosh darn it. Um, as soon as I saw him in The Usable Suspects, and this is the you know Brian Singer, Kevin Spacey reunion again, I knew that he was going to play Lex Luthor somewhere down the line. He just he can turn on charm and menace on a dime. And that's what I felt that he always had to bring to a Lex Luthor character. Any actor had to bring to a Lex Luthor character because I think Gene Hackman did that. He was all fun and games until Christopher Reeve's Superman opened up that lead box and, and just goes, hmm, oh, well, what do we have here? Little piece of the old hometown, <laughs> you know, and this, you know, this, this, uh, diseased old maniac is going to be your banker when you have to cash in those chips. That's the turn that Kevin Spacey had very spiritually the way that Gene Hackman had that turn. So I thought he was just perfect as Lex Luthor. Um, The other, you know, the rest of the cast, the supporting cast, they were fine. I mean, James Marsden, you know, he was a Brian Singer crossover from X-Men as Cyclops. You know, he was very serviceable to that character. Uh, Kitty has all, she had very large, cup sizes to fill because Valerie Perrine was Lex Luthor's girl. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to beat Valerie Perrine when it comes to the, uh, the sexy foil uh, that was on Lex Luthor's arm. Uh, Frank Langella did great as Perry White, but uh, you know, I always loved the, the original actor who played Perry White. Sam Huntington is Jimmy Olsen. It's hard to beat Mark McClure in my eyes because he was just that goofy kind of, you know, uh, ungraceful reporter as Jimmy Olsen always is. And, but Eva Marie Saint did a great job. Um, if anything, you had to have that anchor for Clark to come back to, the, the, the humanity that he needed to embrace him and, and bring him back to the bosom of, of the world. And no better character to do that than Martha Kent. So uh, I think that they did a great job in casting. I think that Kate probably could have been tuned up a little bit more. And I'm not sure who the actresses were at the time that could have held the mantle. But uh, overall... It, it, it's it's just tough because there's so much expectation going into these roles. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can add anything to that, um, uh, especially the note about, you know, was there anything anybody else could have brought? But I think that also it should be noted that I personally think that uh, James Marsden is given short shrift. Um, I think that he does a really fine job. There were a couple of scenes in specific that jump out as the guy who can sense that, you know, the old love is back in town and is very sort of like gives that respectful distance while at the same time you can tell he's having that same sort of inner, your old boyfriend's back. Well, great. That's just wonderful. You know, like... And he's super. Yeah, he does a really good job, I think, of conveying that sort of sense of 
okay, I, I trust you, but this is making me feel a little uncomfortable. I think the only uh, people that, that were in the film that um, it, it didn't work as well for me were Bosworth. I, I didn't like her, her Lois Lane. Um, I, I feel like Lois Lane just needed more gravitas than even a Margot Kidder brought to the role. That Instead of that kind of manic, I, I wanted her to have a real strength as a character and I just didn't feel like she has that and I don't think we get that really until you get Amy Adams as Lois Lane in, in Man of Steel where she feels like a super smart actual reporter and um, because you know she can put two and two together and figure out that that equals Superman and I think um, the other character that I just didn't respond to was the whole Jimmy Olsen style character that they don't change him whatsoever that he's still just this guy wearing a bow tie and a nobody wears bow ties in 2006 you know like this and that that's where that feel of the film being out of time it it doesn't it doesn't translate you know none of the none of it's really updated in that way because even the way the characters dress in this film feels like they're stuck in the 40s not actually you know in a modern era, which is, again, it's a, a beautifully crafted, amazing love letter to Superman, you know, um, but it doesn't even feel as much like those 70s feels, films. It feels more like a 40s Superman, just with all the updated effects and, you know, the beauty and everything like that. And so in a way, it's even more reverential towards those comics than even Donner's films could be because they can really create all of this and make it look like the comic kind of came to life with Metropolis, the way the characters are dressed and everything. And then it was, it's, it's really, I, on a whole, these actors, they have big shoes to fill, but they do, I think a great job. I love Brandon Routh. I'm glad he's getting his time on Arrow these days because I really, really like him as an actor. And I wish that they had given him more to do with Superman, you know, a little bit more comedy, a, a little just bit, just more to do as a Superman. Because a lot of the times when he's around, he doesn't get to say very much. And that's too bad because Brandon Routh's actually a really fun, goofy, great character actor uh, doing a great job on Arrow. And so I know he could have just blown it out of the water uh, as Clark Kent and Superman. So and he's great in this role. I just wish they had even given him the ability to have more to say and, and more to do. Um, so music, production, kind of feel of the film. Uh, what did you guys think, especially from the fact that um, John Ottman comes in and adapts all the music from Williams and then adds some of his own to create a, a, a I'm just going to say it, it's a fantastic score. I own it. I have the uh, expanded version. It's amazing. Um, yeah, and then the production and just kind of the feel of the movie as we kind of round out. Well, I, I think that the production of the movie is, um, I think Norm said this earlier, spot on. Um, you know, it, it feels comfortable and familiar. And the fact that they reuse the, you know, to go back to what I said at the beginning, the, the moment you hear the score start up, you know, even before the dun-dun-dun, like they're, they when they have the title card showing where he's been for five years, you know that is all the way back. Like it, it, it calls back to everything, and you know the the 
lighting, the the color palette, everything feels like a love letter uh, to the fans and also to Donner. And, you know, the, I think that it it's a great illustration of how easy it is to fall into the nostalgia trap. I personally love it, but, you know, it's something that gives you pause when you know that certain other franchises are about to go down that nostalgia road. <laughs> and you kind of go like, huh, how are people going to react to this? Like, you know, how far is too far? How far is not? far enough but um i think production value wise the only thing that i knock it on production value wise is they made a concerted effort especially at the end to have a cg superman flying around for the sake of 3d as i recall Mm -hmm. those sequences are kind of useless to the movie and just extend the running time and shouldn't have been used like they're very tacked on they're very they feel very producery where it's like well what are we going to give people okay let's do it 3d and we'll use a cg superman so the camera can move around him and it's like eh that it doesn't you can feel those scenes don't add anything to the movie itself i think that's the telltale sign that they were going down the right track even before the first moment of actual screen time was shown was the John Williams score. You don't bring a score like that back with that kind of reverence without thinking everything else through because that is the one true through line that informs the audience that knew of those films what you're going to be in for as a film goes. And then it just unfolds from there. The, the ship that Clark returns in is very akin to the ship that he crash-landed on Earth when he first arrived in Smallville. Uh, it had the same type of crystalline burnt architecture. So you're like, okay, there's another throwback. And then, I mean, I could spend the next 30 minutes going through scene for scene, but for people that know the Donner films and the art production and the direction from there... That's the fun of this movie because you actually get to see how that has been slightly modified but still holds the same spiritual nature of what was seen in the original films. I actually think one of my all-time favorite details has nothing to do with an actual design. It's just this one little script engraved on a placard in the museum that said Addis Ababa Meteorite because the Addis Ababa Meteorite dig... And the mine there is where Lex Luthor from the original films found the original piece of kryptonite that he was able to scientifically um, explain uh, the trajectory of where Superman's planet, whatever remnants, would have crash landed on Earth. I mean, it's just it's just a small detail, but it takes you all the way back to 1978 with two words. That's the brilliance of really smart production design. And then you have the crystals, and then you have the updated version of the Fortress of Solitude where they just, with just incredible reverence, cleaned up and polished all of Marlon Brando's used footage and unused footage from Superman and Superman 2, the stuff that was just on the cutting room floor. So that brought back an entire generation of that love for that particular Jor-El. Again, it's... I can't, it's like example after example after example. Now, it's arguable to say that it trapped the film in that way because it doesn't allow for a lot of 
new material to come through. But if we got another movie, I think that that's where that independence would have been flexed a little bit more. But in order for you to get the Johns of the world, the Norms of the world, the Matthews of the world, to come back and love Superman and then use us as that incubator to get new fans in because we saw the respect, they had to go this route, in my opinion. So I thought they did a great job overall with just encapsulating the entire flavor of what the original films were. And just to sum up, if they took Superman 1 and the best parts, the Donner parts of 2, and then fused in Returns, I think it would have made probably the greatest Superman trilogy probably in motion picture history. This, I, you know, I really, I love the music in this movie. And I love the soundtrack. I love the way that they deal with the Williams score. And obviously, you know, if you're going to be so reverential for the Donner films, you can't not have this music there. It just, it wouldn't make sense. You know, this isn't, um, this isn't a Man of Steel thing where you can, you can have a new soundtrack with a new theme, all that. You have to have this music here. It, 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 it's just as much a part of Superman as, you know, Christopher Reeve is, obviously. And uh, I love that that um, I think John Ottman does such a good job of crafting a soundtrack that sounds new and old all at the same time and never makes you feel like it's just a rehash. It, it just it, it's a great soundtrack to listen to. If you don't have it, you got to get it. It's amazing. Um, and the production in this thing is just lavish. I mean, it's extensive. It's beautiful. Um, the shots, the the look, the feel of it, and all of it. As I said, you know, it might look modern with some camera phones and stuff like that, but on a whole, this movie does kind of feel like it's from a whole other time period. And that's one of the things that's nice about it is it it mostly transcends 2006. Um, and that that feeling it it almost makes it feel timeless in the way that Neverland should feel you know when you watch Peter Pan the Disney version and when you go to Neverland even though it's pirates and Indians and all these things it makes you feel like it's timeless somehow even though it's stuck you know in the 19th century idea of what that would look like Uh, I think this film really does that the more I watch it the more I'm really caught by that because we don't really see a ton of modern technology where it pulls you out, uh, except for the camera flip phone, and that's it, really. Um, so, I think this movie just nails so many things. And if uh, Brian Singer had gotten his wish and gotten the opportunity to to do his Wrath of Khan version, basically, um, you know, he did his motion picture, and then he was going to do his Wrath of Khan. I think it would have been great. Uh, and um, you know, the studio just didn't give him that opportunity. And um, I think they were, you know, kind of wrapped up in in what Nolan was doing with Batman and uh, seeing kind of maybe the trend towards the way superheroes were going. And this nostalgia just didn't fit in with where they thought they might want to go. Um, and and it's, it's crazy to think that nothing stuck until we got to Man of Steel. You know, um, nothing came around um, that really made the studio's go with a new Superman um, franchise until, you know, Nolan and Snyder came to them with an idea. And because it was Nolan and because he had had such a a huge 
hit with uh, the Batman films, they said yes. Um, so, but this is a this is a beautiful, lavish, amazing film. I really, really, really like this. I enjoy this film more than I do the original Superman film. Um, uh, and I know that might be anathema to a lot of people, but th- whereas that movie it can be so campy, it hurts it. I think sometimes this film has none of that. It's I think it's just it's spot on awesomeness so um kind of ratings for you guys as we've been talking through uh, superman returns where would you guys rank this and I mean, not maybe necessarily against superman films but just in general uh overall i would say that um it's you know we, we always like to come up with uh you know crystal ratings or different types of ratings <laughs> but i I will say flat out that I think that this is, um, I think the highest praise I can give it is that it is one of the most underappreciated films of the last 20 years. Um, like I, I put it in the same category that I do. And this is praise for me with the prequels where people just didn't plug into how really kind of awesome this is. And if you have not seen it in a few years, um, everybody I've ever talked to where they're like, oh, I remember seeing that. I always urge people, give it another chance. Watch it with fresh eyes. It is, it truly is a really wonderful film and there are some really magnificent things about it. When I was talking to Matthew about this earlier, because I think of Enterprise all the time being you know, the host for Warp 5. I almost classify Superman Returns in the same way. And I agree with what you said, John. When fans talk about Enterprise, seeing it 10 years later on Netflix or however they're downloading it and watching it, what I hear is that this one sentiment, this very common sentiment, I can't believe how good this show was and I forgot it about it completely when it was on the air. And now that I'm watching it again, I'm seeing things that I haven't seen before, and I'm really giving it a greater appreciation than than I originally did. And I think that this movie is the same way. I don't know why in that in the mid two thousands, where kind of like um, fans of science fiction and fantasy kind of just fell a little bit flat. I mean, there are some obvious reasons we talked about that, especially being in the post nine eleven culture that was only four years, five years after, but. A lot of people are returning to a lot of these properties because now they're available pretty easily online. And for anyone who wants to watch this film and, and has not given the chance, please do. Because what this movie does, probably better than most, is that it rekindles your love of what superheroes mean. And... There is a book out there that I highly recommend, and, and you probably, both of you guys, John and Matthew, will probably recommend along with me. It's a story about superheroes of another time that are needed once again because that type of superhero is always relevant to what we think of in terms of true heroes. And that book is Kingdom Come by yeah. the yeah. great Alex Ross and Mark Wade. It's about the classic heroes who have left because they felt that society no longer needed them. And when society made its great turn for the worse, 
the heroes that saved humanity time and time again were the heroes that needed to come back, especially Superman. Because it's not what he can do, it's what he inspires people to do. And that's what this movie brings back. It brings back the Superman that inspires people to dig deep down inside themselves and say, you know what? I am a better person for understanding what a true hero means to me. And that's why I recommend this film. I'm not going to put a rating on it. Just leave you with that. This is what a hero should mean. Boom. You know, um, this is a, this is a really, it's a great movie. I just, I really enjoy it. And I think it, um, it got lost in time and space in a lot of ways. It, it just was out of place. And yet that doesn't make it a bad movie. Um, it, uh, it just means it needs to be taken on its own merits. And, uh, I think when it, when you do, this movie is fantastic. Um, I think too, if if you're somebody who's wanting to know more about Superman, there's a great book called Superman: The High Flying History of America's Most Enduring Hero, and it's a really great book by Larry Ty. Um, and he walks through the history of Superman and the creators and the character, and it just really is fantastic. It does a beautiful job of kind of explaining what makes Superman so special, you know. Um, and I really, really like that. I'm glad that that it, it was out there because it, it Superman is a character that is just it's so ingrained in all of us. And I love getting to see these different takes on him from what you know. You're talking about uh, Kingdom Come. You know what a great representation of Superman. Very different than a lot of the other comics we've seen. Donner's Superman is its own take. Snyder's Superman it's its own take all these different versions of Superman and in the end one of the things I loved about this book is he said you know we kind of get the Superman that we need for the time that we're in Um, each generation kind of gets the Superman that they need and um, I like that I think it's true and I, I think that's what makes each one different and so um, and I think it makes each one valid and this Superman it's hearkening back to that that simpler, pure time almost, and I really, really love this film. So I'm with you guys. Go check out this movie if you hadn't in a while because it really is great. And if you can, check it out on Blu-ray because it really looks beautiful even now yeah. on that Blu-ray present presentation. I think you'll be really surprised just how amazing it looks. So, well, guys... It has been um, uh, an amazing experience getting to talk about Superman Returns with you. But of course, it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of those other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Set this movie at the end of the five-year mission. Skip ahead five years. You know, kind of like Dark Knight or whatever. And then mm-hmm. say, okay, we've had all these adventures, blah, 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 blah. And now we're at the end. We're about to go home. You know, and it's been a, you know, a fun time was had by all. Earl Grey. Again, you know, because it's 
January. My ship was shot beyond the bounds of normal interstellar travel <laughs> to the center of the galaxy, but we were back in time for tea. The orb. They're they're not even right. thinking about it at this point. Okay, how yeah, do we well, exactly. start the resistance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do all this? Yeah. Because they have become comfortable with where they are and thinking yeah. that they're doing all they can, and yet right. we know as the audience that they're not. To the journey. I want you to say right now in front of our our friends, okay, and in front of me and the Lord Almighty, okay. what is your favorite season? Okay, this isn't the favorite season. I want you to tell me what your favorite <laughs> season is. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, and Darren promise we won't ever be like this. The ready room. So what's the deal? You know, does Tom have a dad we don't know about? Apparently. Because who was, was this guy that he was remembering yeah, as his know, dad? Was that Nick Lacarno's dad? <laughs> that was Nick Lacarno's dad, yes. Commentary, Trek stars. But I mean, here's the question, John. If, if you're living Fight Club, then, you know, we have to ask. If you could fight anyone, who would you fight? William Shatner. All right. Literary Treks. The main storyline here is the battle for the Vulcan soul. They are one of the most logical races, and yet they have an intensely spiritual aspect to them. Axanar, the official podcast. You were there. Mm. How long did we wait for them to try and reach that? Oh man, it was it was it was at least as long as the Enterprise penetrating V'ger's outer (laughs) shield to getting into the actual machine core. The Six O Two Club. So, as far as the realism question is concerned. Um, whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's the Marvel way to do it. I mean, I think that's the that's the defining difference between Marvel and DC. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Uh, if you kind of just share a passion for what we do here, um, you know, we put our heart and soul into everything we do here at Trek FM. It's it's a lot of work. But we love it. That's why we do it. Um, And we love bringing these conversations to you. You can help us share those with your friends and your family and people you know online. Uh, You can subscribe on iTunes or the other places you get your podcasts. You can leave us star ratings and reviews. That helps us in all of those places to be able to really get these shows out there and get them more visible and just bring other fans into the conversation. Um, You know you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website. Grab the RSS link as well. And another way that you can really help us out is by helping us pay for all that goes into creating these podcasts. We are a listener-supported network, and you can check us out at patreon.com slash trek.fm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek.fm. We've got goals we were trying to reach, milestone contribution levels, some great perks for you. Um, in fact, one of the people with some perks is sitting across from me, and that is Norman Lau as being an associate producer here on this show. And that's what brought him into Trek FM. So it, it brought him into the family because he started uh, supporting us. And you'll find all those details again at patreon.com slash trekfm. Of course, a special thanks to Norm, my associate producer, as well as Ken Tripp for their support. I couldn't do the 602 Club without these guys, and especially Norm. I mean, he's been supporting me from the very beginning, and, and we became friends because he was on this show. Uh, it's fantastic. So 
If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. Go to the sidebar on the show page. Go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm, Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And, of course, we've got the Babel Conference best place to have a Star Trek discussion or about anything we talk about on the 602 Club. You can just search the Babel Conference in Facebook or you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. I wanted to share our very first contact email that we got uh, here on the show, and this was really exciting. And it was actually because of a show that John and I did together. And it says, hey guys, just writing to thank you for your great coverage of the latest news from Star Wars Rebels and TFA. Worked for Lucasfilm for the past 19 years and was one of the two editors on Star Wars The Clone Wars. Everyone I know who has ever worked on Star Wars pours their sweat, heart, and soul into it. And your words to that effect could not be more true. He said, seeing the return of Ahsoka and Rex in the Rebels trailer was really emotional moment for me as a veteran of the Clone Wars crew. So seeing that second trailer for TFA having worked on Star Wars for 15 years and as a fan... I've been one since age seven, so you can well imagine. Listening to your excitement, the thoughts and feelings you shared about our work brought me back to my time in the Clone Wars and the experience I was privileged to be a part of. It reminded me of how special a connection the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek create between people. How lucky and happy I am that world to be a part of my life. Thanks again, and I look forward to listening to more episodes of your podcast, Nick. I uh, just wanted to say thank you, Nick. It means the world to me that you spent some time to, to write into the show. That's, that is fantastic, and I'm glad that the passion that John and I have for Star Wars is uh, helping other people in, enjoy their Star Wars fandom. Uh, and gosh, working for Lucasfilm, uh, talk about Star Wars fandom. John, is that like uh, a dream come true right there? Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, it, very special thank you. Uh very flattering, very wonderful, um, you know, that that you listened. And also to know that, um, like you said, we're, we're part of a larger community out there um, that, uh, you know, we all have uh, a, a deep love in common. And uh, it's pretty cool how that can unite people together. It is, it is amazing to be a part of that. So, guys, if you have more comments, we'd love to hear them from you. Um, and things you'd maybe like to hear us talk about or just anything like that, that's fantastic. Uh, well, Norm, tell everybody where they can find you online and, of course, on the network. Well, first, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to thank you, Matthew, and to thank you, John, for having this discussion with me. I have, I have been waiting a long time to talk about this subject matter because Superman, as you may have noticed in the last two hours or so, it means a lot to me. This, as a hero, he uh, embodies a lot of of what got me into all of this in the first place, and I'm I'm just excited to have been able to play my part here in this podcast and and discuss this topic passionately with all of you because I know our fans are out there and they're passionate about these things too. And speaking of one of my passions, uh, you can find me here on the network as the host for Warp 5, the Trek FM network's de- uh, dedicated enterprise show. You can also find me on the Babel Conference, and, and Matthew talked about that before, our, our Facebook dedicated listeners page. You can also find me on Twitter at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I'm always on the Axanar 
fan group page on Facebook because I'm a huge supporter of Alec Peters and his work on the Axonar project. And lastly, and Matthew, again, you mentioned this before, uh, one of the ways that I was able to do all of this to become part of the network and to meet all these people, great friends like Matthew and John, um, is because I started this journey through Patreon. I found it, patreon.com slash trekfm, and decided to become a donor and became a sponsor of several shows here on the network. Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. And I have one last thing to say to Ruby before I go, and it's only really one word, but it's very important in the, in the realm of what one of my mentors taught me. And the word is land. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. John, where can we find you online? Well, you can find me uh, on the network, actually, over at Commentary Trek Stars, where uh, Mike, Max, and I uh, break down the non-Trek work of Star Trek creators and actors. And uh, you can also find me on a little old podcast called uh, Words with Nerds that drops on every Thursday that I uh, co-host with my buddy Craig. Available through iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and all of those usual channels. And uh, if you want to interact with me on Twitter, uh, you can find me uh, being a rabble rouser at Kessel Junkie. Well, guys, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. You can also find me doing literary treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And I do have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Dot com. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? If my cat comes across at any point, but he's being a very, very affectionate little boy. Okay. Okay. Well, if you throw it against the wall and it just goes, we'll just be like, bring out your dead. I'm not dead. There we go. Ah, so. I'm getting better. You'll be stunned in a moment. You're not fooling anyone. (laughs) I feel happy. I feel happy. I don't want to go on the card. Oh, don't be such a baby. (laughs) <laughs> oh, what a good movie. There you go. All right, Monty Python pants. Yeah, there's my there there's my go. cue right there.